0: Good morning, and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear, and I'm John Birdsall How are you doing, Kirk? I'm doing all right. I'm a little bit worried about World War III, to tell you the truth. A um, lot of crazy yeah, stuff going I'm on. In three or four now. Well, it depends. Uh, I mean, sure. by we'll do we'll cover World War III this week, and by next week it might be World War Four. Who knows? But uh, on a very serious note here. I I know you know this, or maybe you don't know this amount of detail, but when I was in the Air Force, I was an operations law officer for a period of time, and it just happened to be right when Ukraine was establishing its uh, status as a sovereign nation. And one of the big things that the team I was on was dealing with is what is going to happen with all these nuclear weapons that used to be Oh yeah, Soviet, that was a- you know, Soviet yeah. nuclear weapons. And, and I just want to, this has been something that's been talked about a little bit in the news, but I think it deserves a little bit more coverage and commentary, but there was a specific, if, if not written agreement, at least an understanding that when Ukraine said, what should we do with our nuclear weapons? Should we keep them or should we get rid of them? Uh, NATO, and in particular, the United States, and I know this because I work very closely with the, the um, NATO and um, basically the European command um, in the Air Force, as far as taking a position on this, because I was on the team of legal advisors for compliance with the rule of law and the Hague conventions and all that other stuff as far as how you go about negotiating these types of things. And I can tell you, even though it it may not have been a written agreement because of the, I would say the urgency of the matter, there's definitely an understanding that if Ukraine would give up its nuclear weapons, they could rely upon uh, the European union and NATO to come to their aid if there was a need for defense. And although it's been a long and sordid, uh, process whereby Ukraine has most recently since 2014, um, attempted to obtain membership in NATO. And there are various reasons why that hasn't happened, which I think this whole crisis now, well, it's not a crisis. It's a, it's a war. This war right now is really bringing into focus, but, um, it's something that probably should have already happened. And I know that this is all about, uh, Vladimir Putin having, uh, Anxiety (laughs) about um, the proximity of the the ever-growing number of NATO countries. That includes uh, all of the Balkan states, Poland, um, as well as um, Romania that have become – go ahead. I was
1: going to riff on this exact point, and I've read many, many articles – uh, Tom Friedman among them in the New York Times, uh, talking about inciting George McKinnon, or Kennan, is a, the basically the architect of the liberal order post-World War II, um, uh, who says, and many said at the time that we took on all these new NATO members, what a tragic mistake that was. Because, and as, and, as, um, and as Friedman put it, that we took them on um, at the con- collapse of the Soviet Union. And that was exactly the time to not do that, because the whole point was to deter the Soviet Union. And now the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. And so basically, we like rubbed it in their face
0: um, that well,
1: all of these are now flipped to
0: the west. I I, I get that, but I disagree, and I think right. that, that the whole point behind NATO is basically a a you know a United States led concept that came from the United Nations, and that was as a result of the conclusion of World War II, and the the whole point of having that treaty alliance was obviously to prevent this type of situation where there is land annexation occurring. And that that's something that was never supposed to happen again, you know, at the hmm. end of world war two, because that's how world war one and world war two started. And for that matter, probably a whole bunch of other war. Yeah. A whole bunch of other wars before then, where there's been some sort of, you know, it, historically inaccurate claim to, a territory based on its you know history or perceived history and that right. you know to reunify the, or to liberate the people that want to be part of the greater union i mean it's it, it's it can be phrased Probably so many different ways where it sounds like democratic and peaceful but it's not it and, sounds and- like- Debate maybe that the Palestinians and
1: the Israelis are having, right? Well, right, and
0: that's a never-ending debate. I mean, both both have claims from their own views that they have a you know a a birthright or something to it. But you know, let me talk a little bit about the history of Ukraine because this is interesting. Ukraine, like many of the what are now considered Eastern European countries or regions, um, was very distinct. Uh, originally, from the Russian Empire, in the sense that there had been a unique Ukrainian culture and language that <clears throat> throughout the um, seventeen and 1800s, there had been efforts from the the great Russian Empire to uh, actually make it illegal <clears throat> for people to speak or write in Ukrainian. And that was part of uh, trying to absorb those peoples into the the greater Russian Empire. Well, you know, when the Bolshevik Revolution happened and when there, was, there were efforts to um, – the original idea, by the way, which is kind of ironic, is that the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics was designed to have different republics that had their own uh, – independ- not independence from the Union, but rather their own national identity – so that they would each be individual republics. And it was actually uh, when Ukraine was basically absorbed into the Soviet Union, it was with the understanding that the years of oppression against Ukrainians from the Russian Empire would be changed, and they will be allowed to establish and renew their own identity as as a unique republic. And that's really when for for many, many years, it had been illegal to speak the Ukrainian language. Well, <clears throat> then we all know what happened as the Soviet Union progressed, and it became uh, either due to um, those that have been in power, uh, you know, wishing to grab more of that, or out of economic necessity with the very difficult uh, proposition of forming an entire you know, union of republics that are, you know, socialist, which is a very difficult and complicated task. Um, you know, there is this basically a subversion of, again, those individual nuances of places like Georgia and Ukraine and, and etc. So when, when Putin's talking about how Ukraine has is never, was never a real country and that it exactly. has no right to even claim. So, right. Um, that's actually contrary to even what the Soviet Union considered that territory territory to be at, at its outset and he's really talking about the way that the Russian Empire under the Czars treated land acquisition and imperialism I mean the, the dude is a lot of people on the radio this week have been saying well he's he's not a crazy man he's just a, you know he's an overachiever he crazy you know, he's, to he's crazy. He crazy to me. He is crazy. And here's why, I mean, it's, there is no place in 2022 to try and go back to 1919. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. And, and by the way, who is fooling whom here when this is all like right out of the Hitler playbook. And I, you know, I know I'm excited about this and I'm getting emotional, but it's because, you know, I, I, I have followed this issue closely for most of my adult life. And, the fact that when one claims that they are interested in, quote unquote, liberating people from, you know, an oppressive situation, right, right. those those are words that are used to justify crossing territorial boundaries. It's exactly what Hitler did when he was acquiring power and rising from a mere chancellor to, you know, a pure dictator and convinced all the people that. In Germany, you know the good people in Germany that we that you know didn't well, want any did, another war.
1: That's what he did with the Sudetenland in right. 1938, and um and and that was a that was just they just they just gave it to him, you know. Well, right.
0: So and, and I have
1: a, I, have a I, I before we go to the break, I want to pose a question that I want you to answer on the other side, which is: Let's assume Putin isn't crazy, okay? And um, and he's playing a five level game of chess. And what's his end game? That's my question mm-hmm. for you, sir. All right, I'll answer it when we come back. And we are back. So um, uh, before we went to break, which was awesome, by the way. Yeah, break, great break. Um, Very great. <laughs> great. <clears throat> I posed the following question to the eminent um, attorney and um, Air Force vet. Uh, Kirk Obert, and that is assuming that uh, Vladimir Putin hasn't just lost his marbles and is going nuts here. And, um, uh, what's what would be his end game if this was a very calculated, um, invasion, uh, designed to do what exactly? Because I don't okay. know his end game other than just pure russian pride and um you know rebuilding his his the empire that was lost which he considers you know the which he said was the worst geopolitical disaster of the 20th century
0: right well and i think that's that's part of the answer but and and by the way when i say putin's crazy what i mean is that i think that his estimation of the you know achieving his end game is way off, and it doesn't belong in a modern world. But well, what is when, it And I'll get there. But you know okay. what I mean. Crazy. It's the this is reminiscent of people who were blinded by power and national pride in a in a way that made it made them dangerous people that we had hoped we had gone uh, you know evolved as a. A nation, a world of nations, far beyond that. Well, we thought that also in World War One. By the way, you know uh, when all the conflict was brewing and people were trying to figure out how all these inter interlaced treaties would affect whose obligation to defend whom after the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, that there was the skepticism that a war could ever break out because it would be impossibly economically devastating to any country who would initiate any such action. Well, turned Mm -hmm. out that wasn't true. And then after the great war, there was a commitment throughout the world to never see another great war. And it, it required the same sort of, right. The, The record required the same sort of philosophy that we're seeing here right now, voiced on the world stage, that there there is a reason for the protection of people to basically annex territory, you know, that there's a some sort of historical claim to. So when I say crazy, I mean, it's just crazy that we're talking about this in the year 2022. I don't think that it, it's something that is has not been thought out and something that is part of a grander plan. It certainly is. A- and here's what it is. And I think we can glean probably more from Putin's mindset uh, from the most recent series of speeches he's given than really anything else. Rem- remember, he was a KGB agent during the Soviet era. He kind of kind of rose to power by accident, but by being in the right place at the right time. And in fact, one of his relatives was known to be a very liberal mayor of one of the uh, you know, uh, big cities in, in one of the larger parts of Russia, not Moscow, but another, uh, Saint, well, actually, St. Petersburg, yeah. But anyway, um, the, the idea here is that he has had resentment that is just becoming more, he, he's having more confidence over the years in expressing the true depth of that resentment that the Soviet Union broke apart. And he's commented many times that that was the biggest uh, mistake that that uh, Russia ever made. Not that the Soviet Union fell apart, because trust me, he's enjoying – he and the corruption of ah. the Russian government are enjoying yes. much more fruits of their corruption <laughs> than, they, yes. than they would have under the Soviet era. And really, by getting rid of socialism as a way of government, it opened the gates to – all type, all manner of selfish acquisition of wealth and, uh, you know, muscling power, uh, to obtain money, and that's kind of where Russia has been. You know, it's been evolving and growing as more and more thuggery, uh, as it relates to the world in the world stage. So I, I know I'm getting all excited here, but, no, that's but okay. the end game, the end game. I'll tell you what the end game is. From a strategic perspective, what Putin wants is to slow down the uh, number of countries that are signing on to NATO. Because, and the reason why Ukraine's so important, two reasons, obviously, is that number one, it's on the border of Russia. So that's of great concern that if there's uh, a treaty alliance where the rest of NATO is required by virtue of Ukraine's membership in NATO to defend it, then it would be the start of, literally a world war if there was some, uh, you know, desire to annex part of, or all of Ukraine. But, uh, well, the other, about many of the, all the Baltic States, they're all, they'll border Russia. So uh, they, they do, but, um, but don't remember Belarus, uh, you know, is not a NATO member. They sort of scared them into doing that. The, and, and here's the thing. It, it, this really goes back to, um, 2014. Well, obviously, 1994 was when uh, Ukraine said, we don't want our nuclear weapons. We'll cooperate with the process of destroying them, basically becoming defenseless. And and, and what a different situation this would be if they still retain those nuclear weapons, by the way. Um, Ah, I mean, I don't want to get old school on you, but, you know, I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) it would be a very different situation. Deterrence has seemed to work. Yeah. Well, it it has, but, you know, and and I, I, you know, honestly, I am thankful that as a result of the dissolution of the Soviet Union, at least in some parts of the world, there has been a decrease in some uh, nuclear-capable weaponry. Although, you know, the truth be told, the total amount of uh, available and armed nuclear weapons hasn't decreased, and it's actually – we're in a much riskier time now than we ever were in the Cold War when it comes to those things because of the risk of rogue states um, coming into possession of them. And, and I will be honest with you, John, back when this whole discussion was happening, the future of Ukraine was very uncertain. And there were there were people, you know, in the North Atlantic Treaty you know, group that were concerned that if uh, in a brand new nation that was potentially unstable that could be taken over by who knows what kind of influences. Uh, It wasn't so much that we wanted to deprive Ukraine of the ability to defend themselves with deterrence, but that who knows where those weapons could end up. And you probably know this already, John, but there have been, uh, there's no accounting for some of those nuclear weapons. Some people, we don't know exactly where all of them ended up. Because when the Soviet Union broke up, you know, it was kind of a, there were several different, you know, places that became countries or territories that had uh, nuclear arsenals. And not all of them were all accounted for. I mean, they were supposedly destructed. Some of them were on the word, like, oh, yeah, we'll get rid of them. Trust us, you know, type thing. And others were done under strict supervision. But there's. There's stuff out there (laughs) that uh, causes a lot of concern. And um, anyway, but uh, getting back to, I want to answer your question, the end game here. The end game is very, very simple. Putin imagines um, a Russia that resembles uh, the totalitarianism that, that was part of the USSR, but also... The imperialism that was part of the Russian Empire. He's doing this as, as a result of um, a, a very long and calculated period of uh, controlling the media through propaganda and nationalism. That, you know, it took a long time for that momentum to build itself back up after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, because the Soviets had complete control over um, political messaging and you know this whole idea of freedom and capitalism and you know make your own way in life uh, get uh, kind of interfered with the ability for Russia to have control over the messaging but it's been clamped down consistently over the years and I think that what Putin has in mind it's a combination of a, a fear that NATO will become too powerful but also if it were to actually happen where ukraine became a member of nato that would foreclose that that would suddenly make it so that the invasion of the crimean peninsula which in and of itself is a war crime and you know would would become uh grounds for um descent from the entire world which it already should be i mean that was that was completely wrong that they just marched in and not many people paid attention. Now that was in 2014, by the way. And, um, president Obama bears some responsibility for that. But the last administration that we just had did absolutely nothing for Ukraine, except by, except for providing some javelin anti tank missiles. And we all know why that happened. It was part of that, that beautiful phone call. Right. Um, (laughs) well, anyway, when we come
1: back from the break, I have two other things to pose to you. So, uh, get ready. Buckle
0: up, people. All right. I will be prepared. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. Uh, John, you've got more tough questions for me. The Oh, my God. They're so tough. Who's an um, expert on international law? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, there's, there's uh, two things. Um, one is uh, Putin's um, obvious attempts. To not only split the U.S. from Europe because he sees himself as European, but also to sow division within the U.S. with all his cyber um, shenanigans and election interference and all of that. Uh, and so that's one side of the world. And then the other side of the world, he's cozying up to China Um much more than, say, um, Nixon would ever have envisioned after he visited in the 70s, because um, the whole idea was to try and, like, you know, split their world, I guess, or, <coughs> yeah. or at least, you know, have some impact on it. But um, the other half of this is China is like kind of like not really commenting on this whole invasion thing, because what do they have their eyes on? Taiwan. Taiwan. <laughs> right. So yeah. um, do we see uh, this as him trying to um, I don't know, ingratiate ingratiates the wrong word, but uh, further solidify himself as a European, which I think he largely sees it, it as. And the other hand, is he also sort of emboldening um, China to take Taiwan and then between the two of them, who knows what else could happen? I mean, who knows what? All right, ha- who knows? I, who I
0: what do. I do actually have some thoughts on that. You'd be, you might All be right. surprised, but I do. Now, when well, you say true. that, when you say that Putin fancies himself a European, I would say more along the lines that the way Tsar Nicholas uh, perceived himself as a European, because he was related to Europeans, uh, actual Europeans. But one of the things that drives. Putin crazy is when you refer to Ukraine as an Eastern European country, because it's supposed to be Russia. Um, (laughs) But I know what you mean, you know, like the, the regality that he, he surrounds himself with sort of has that tenor. Um, But make no mistake. uh, He's, he's hitching his wagon to this concept that Russia is this great nation with a tremendous, history it's it's a very large nation with a very complicated history that's true and i think that a lot of it's it's just ironic that in many ways we live in a more dangerous world now that the soviet union no longer exists which no one would ever imagine in a million years that that could be true but it is true but to your second point which is china i'll remind you if you're not already aware of this that nearly um, 100% of the entire military throughout the entire country of Russia is positioned around Ukraine right now. And that means that they withdrew all of their border troops, uh, you know, on China, on the other side of their country, um, to engage in this activity. That says two things to me. Number one, that it there must be some very close communication and coordination with China, or or some sort of assurance that there will not be any kind of interference on a on a worldwide level from China. But secondly, the thing that you point out. I think that it's it's just a matter of time. When China decides that their historic claim to Taiwan will be put into effect. And in fact, there has been more and more um aggressive action taken to that end. Including well, it's um, the claim that he's making to Ukraine, right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is the stuff that isn't supposed to happen anymore, you know? But we're not supposed to cite some 300-year-old, 4,000-year-old, you know, tradition and say we need that land that you live on and that you govern because a 1,000 years ago somebody said it was ours. You know, that's just not supposed to happen anymore. But, well, um, it, maybe it should. Maybe we should get the Pottawatomie and the Oneida in
1: Wisconsin to <laughs> say well, that, um, okay. I'm sorry, but Very the city great. of Milwaukee
0: and the Eastern District of Wisconsin – are actually ours, so um, yeah, thank very you. very good me. point. Because if our you know so-called melting pot of a country, you know, saw any uh, legitimacy to that claim, we we'd be kicked out of here. You know, me and my well, English, Irish, Scandinavian roots, I'd be, you know, which raises I'd be the gone. question:
1: so What sovereignty know. means in the first place? I mean, might is right, I guess, in the world of international politics and in the world uh, of. Yeah.
0: You know, yes, I know, mean, but, but but I think after after hopefully after World War II, but I know it hasn't always been true, but the notion that um self-determination and self-identity are things that need to be respected in, in, in a world forum, especially uh, you know, amongst encouraging people to be part of um the North Atlantic Treaty. So um, that's, you know, so we, we want places like Ukraine to say we are an independent, wonderful, new, whatever form of government we're going to have. Although it's been a democracy all along. It didn't really resemble democracy until about 2014, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but. Um, but uh, The Orange, the Orange know, Revolution, right? <laughs> right? Right. So, but I, I think that's supposed to be a good thing you know, in places that are uh, running at risk. Because remember what happened after World War One and World War II, the victors divided the spoils and they absorbed countries that had been annihilated in the process of the world wars. I mean, remember how World War I started. It was, you know, a fairly minor incident in uh, Sarajevo involving Austria, Austria, Hungary That doesn't exist anymore. The Ottoman Empire that's all involved with that, gone, doesn't even exist. I mean, all the major players, you know, except for France and England and the United States and Canada and India. Well, no, India was part of the United Kingdom back then. But you know what I mean? Uh, All the major players that were the most um, active in starting that conflict don't even exist anymore.
1: Well, Um, you know This is just major powers trying to carve the world up for their own use. And let me let me just um, use this historical analysis to project into the future, because there's a lot of mineral uh, necessities for the future that are located in countries uh, that um, uh, could well be the subject of invasion or, uh, you know, just like capture by large powers. and I'm sp- mostly speaking of lithium, which is being used to power batteries. And there's a very um, there's very specific places. There's lithium in the United States, but it's mostly in South America and the Congo, believe it or not. And um, and and this is, you know, and this is just one example, but there's many, many minerals that are necessary to make, computers phones batteries for cars things that are going to be the future and um and so these questions of sovereignty and of um uh you know what what, what constitutes a country are going to mm-hmm. come into play
0: with a lot of these uh, uh of these issues <laughs> well it's it's a little it's a little so colonial great. that you in the yeah. sense that I mean, that that is what used to drive nations towards land acquisition. And for, you know, an imperialism in general was the resources of another location that could be absorbed. Yeah, right. But 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 we're supposed to have moved beyond that. and, And primarily the reason that we should have moved beyond that lithium aside is that we're in an age of technology where innovation is supposed to get around. That type of world domination. We're not the Dutch trying to take over the entire Caribbean because we want sugar. I mean, it, or, or nobody should be. You know, it just shouldn't work that way. It's not well, in the modern world. Well, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, it shouldn't. But <laughs> did I win that so argument far, that easily? I mean, Sorry.
1: <laughs> I think I think you're drifting into a little naivete there. Uh, All right, yeah. But um, I mean, yeah. Obviously, we'd love a harmonious world, but uh, the bottom line is, is
0: you know, that uh, people still are greedy. They're still yeah, greedy. Yeah, no. And I'm not They're saying greedy. that. I'm, I'm expressing my shock that we're that this is happening because, yeah. you know. And again, I mean, his, history repeats itself, and here we are, and it's it's here it is because you know, greed. Greed really anymore I mean greed's supposed to destroy our ourselves from within and it does a very good job of making the United States a you know a less than desirable place when those that have too much greed impose it on us and then we have to come back from that and fix things but at least we have a democracy that can do that you know yeah
1: that's a fair point and I think one of the uh, things that this Ukrainian invasion, has brought into sharp contrast is the world, however imperfect, that is at least dedicated to a rule of law versus a world that is not. And, um, you know, I mean, you could sit around and just rip on the US and all the problems we have and the racial divisions and the, you know, uh, economic disparities among, you know, uh, any number of analyses. but at the same time, we still have the ability to, say, criticize the oh, – well, we'll have to pick this up on the other
0: side. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to interrupt your thought, but our commercials are knocking on the door. So oh, All right. we'll be right back. We are back. More legal defense and apparently world
1: um, <laughs> geopolitical analysis.
0: Yeah, something
1: like that. World- we're talking uh, about the rules of evidence or – right. When- Oh, and this is law stuff. It's totally it is, law stuff. It is law stuff. It's it's yeah. like um, it, it's actually something I've struggled with. You know, you uh, determine what constitutes a nation, um, and I often think about uh, the Cherokee cases from the early 1800s in the United States, um, and where the Cherokee Nation, and I use that term purposely uh, filed suit in federal court saying that they had treaties with the United States government to, you know, keep their lands in Georgia and some of it went up to Tennessee and uh, I think a little spilled over into like Alabama. And, uh, but anyway, there was a massive amount of land there. And, um, and unfortunately for the Cherokee, <laughs> Uh, gold was discovered.
0: <laughs> there
1: was a like, huge hunger
0: for white when that
1: happened. to come into that area, and uh, but they, um, the United States Supreme Court ruled that they are a nation. They are a nation. So, question was, what are the boundaries of that nation? Well, you know, I mean, the native peoples and the, all these tribes did not really have that concept embedded in their culture or their laws. Uh, but, um, but that's what the Supreme Court ruled. Now, didn't do them any good because Andrew Johnson, Andrew Jackson rather, said that, um, uh, well, that's lovely, uh, nice ruling by the Supreme Court, Um Good luck enforcing it. Uh, I'm going to remove them anyways, and dust the trail yeah. of teeth. And here's some blankets for you for the trip. Oh uh, yeah, with smallpox. <laughs> but but the point was the 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 point of in, in our conversation is you know, what what actually constitutes a nation. You know we we just like basically fought our way and 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 annexed whatever we wanted to make the United States. That's um, very true. <laughs> the the whole history, if you look at thousands <coughs> of years of European history, constantly shifting borders and borders are just like artificial, you know, um, constructs. and Let well, me um, ask
0: you this, John, and I, and I know this is on a lot of people's minds, but after every time there, at least in our American history, there has been loss and suffering as a result of conflict that. In retrospect, should have, could have been avoided. Uh, we tend to become more isolationist. That definitely happened, <clears throat> you know, after the Civil War, after the uh, Mexican, after the Spanish Spanish American War, after World War One, after World War yeah, Two, after Vietnam. It's now we're kind of, so kind of post Afghanistan type thing, you know, where I mean, I think we're. Where the, the spirit behind let's not mess with other people's stuff or let's not get involved with other people's troubles has been a natural reaction to. So, so let me ask you about that. Do you think that we're in a similar situation right now where we run the risk of our isolationism or our tendency to go that way is potentially a problem in what America will do to help uh, address this problem?
1: You mean the Ukraine problem?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, I don't think there's any doubt we're still reeling from Iraq and Af- Afghanistan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, kind of understand why we went in, don't understand why we stayed an extra 10 plus years. But, you know, um, Iraq, obviously no reason to go in, uh, but, and it was a complete disaster. No and mistake, of course, you know. understandably, the American folks are sick of all this war. Right, even though coincidentally, just like none of their kids are serving, like none of the nice white suburban kids are serving. Right, it's mm-hmm. not a draft situation. Oh, no. That's that. I mean, well, I do okay. there 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 but there's not a draft situation where it's a vast right. number of people. I see what you mean. Right. And, um, and 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 so, yeah, I wasn't trying to diss the military, <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. not. Um, but in fact it's kind of great that we have an all-volunteer force uh, but it does limit the percentage of the population who have actual family members in the military active duty in the military as war fighters right now is is incredibly small
0: you know you, know, you might be surprised to know that that I actually have uh, thought about this a lot and I support the idea of mandatory uh-huh. Government service, I wouldn't say military service, but, um, you know, and President Clinton had an idea along these lines. It never really took off, but, you know, to have um, you can you can serve a term either in the military or in some other way where you are um, contributing to your government at, at an early age and, you know, you get a paid job and those types of things. But that's one of the reasons why I've always believed that that might be a good thing if we had that is what you just said, is that if we have
1: senators- it could be a common purpose for the country, like a common cause. You know, in Israel, Absolutely. it's mandatory military service. Yeah, when Germany, to- too.
0: modern day Germany. It's mandatory.
1: You know, when I went to- when I went to Israel, I everywhere I went, I saw very, very young people. Carrying their you're given a weapon, you keep it for life. And they were at um, you know, a cafe and all their guns are under the table because they just you carry know, their guns everywhere.
0: Uh Natalie Portman, the actor, was in Star Wars. You know, you know who she is. Mm-hmm. She she served in the Israeli military. And uh because it was mandatory. And everybody cared. I yeah, didn't know that about Germany. That's interesting. But yeah,
1: I think I think one of the things the United States is lacking right now is this common purpose. You know, I mean we all we look back fondly on World War II, which is weird because it was horrible, but (laughs) (laughs) right not only because we won, but because it really was something that everybody could kind of agree on. Well, almost everybody, but mostly everybody uh, could agree Hitler's evil. Uh yeah,
0: um, Japan. That's what I'm saying about this. Uh, who who can disagree that Ukraine needs to be defended? There is no argument that makes any sense that that Ukraine is not being victimized. I, and this isn't like Iraq or Af- Afghanistan. We're not invading. If we sent troops to Ukraine, we wouldn't be invading anything. We'd be there defending yeah. what what we should be regarding as an ally. I think
1: the answer to your question, uh, if if your question is, why aren't we like united on this? I think the answer is the Internet and the the divisions that have been solidified over the last 20 years um, that just have captured people's minds. And so even though even if you were somebody that would otherwise be inclined to say, all right, I'm going to support the president, even in a vote for him because this is something that is something that we Americans should unite on. Um, You know, uh, but now that might be a reasonable, you know, in in generation past. But now it's like we're not giving him any wins, period. We're not even going to say a nice thing about him.
0: You know, there's all that. I, I know what you mean by that, but I don't know. I just can't figure out why. This is something that it should be easy. I, I don't mean easy, easy, but I mean philosophically easy for the majority of the world to come together on. This is just plain wrong. You know, I and, think a lot of the world does come together. Well, I know it's, that, but I mean, in terms of like, it, it's just it's just kind of happening with that, and we're just leaving the... You, is you know, I here's what bothers me, John. Man. Here's what bothers me. We're, you know, what's going on in Ukraine right now is that, you know, Women, children, uh, you know, old men, they're getting AK-47s distributed to them, you know, to try to help defend themselves. They're, they're, they, you know, there isn't there is a defense defensive army. There is a military, oh, but it's no match whatsoever no. to not, the I, Russians. I mean, cool. it's like it's like the Pol- Polish uh, army that had sticks and horses trying to stop the blitzkrieg. And, you know. When when that ha- when the blitzkrieg happened and and the Germans went straight through Belgium and straight through Poland and everybody just Wait, was like oh, lost? oh gee oh golly too are bad for them
1: what are you telling me they lost
0: <laughs> I did not
1: wow I gotta go back and re- yeah, read I that.
0: I'm sorry. I know you're in the middle of the book and I kind of spoiled the ending for you. That's, that's, that's on me. That's bad. But but you know, another uh, thing. Okay. Let me just give you a scenario here. I know we're running out of time, but, but let's say, you know, let's make an analogy to the civil war because this actually kind of did happen when the South wanted to be a, an independent, unique part of the country. There were many attempts by the south to get england to come in and be peacekeepers i'm saying that in air quotes uh, in order to uh ensure their self proclaimed independence from the united states it didn't happen well not not overtly anyway but you know that that's basically what putin's saying is that there are people in ukraine that need to be protected by me Here I am. And he bombs the entire country, the entire country. I mean, all right, we got to go. Well,
1: look, uh, we'll pick this up next week. um, And uh, maybe
0: we'll explore this whole idea of sovereignty a little bit more. I I agree. That's probably a good way to go on this. So, all right. Hope you uh, enjoyed listening to the show. Please do tune in next week as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. It's been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great weekend.